All right, if you want to know what fires me up, it's that right there. That is amazing, awesome, incredible stuff, man. It is a great time to be a Christian in Broward County. I know we've got like this little tiny sliver of the percentage of people of this county, but I'll tell you what, the Lord is moving to bring churches together across denominational lines, across racial lines, across socioeconomic lines. What's so cool for me is I sit there and I watch that video and so many of those guys are are really good friends of mine now, which is amazing and awesome. And so to all of you guys who participated in November in Love South Florida, I just personally want to say thank you. Uh, It was overwhelming the generosity of this church. And so we really, really appreciate it. And it makes a difference. It gives us together as the church with a capital C, the opportunity to say to the community in the name of Jesus, Hey, you know what? We are for you. That's a great message. It's a great message and it's needful. So thanks for that. Well, as Matt said at the beginning of our service, we're continuing today in a study that we started last week that we're calling 21 questions and you guys have given us the questions. And so in other words, several weeks ago, we came to you and said, all right, we need questions. So what are they? Like, what are the questions that you have about God and Christianity and faith and life and the Bible and Jesus and whatever else it is that's on your mind? But, but maybe even more significantly, what are the questions that the people in your life who don't believe in Jesus at all, perhaps have? Like, what are they wrestling with? What are they asking? What are they wondering? Find out and then let us know. And we got an avalanche of really sobering, really significant, sometimes really silly questions uh, as well. Um, But really amazing stuff. And I mean, it's like it's daunting. You just look at that and go, wow, incredible. And so what we've been doing is we've been categorizing these different questions with the hopes of then taking the 21 questions that rise to the top and that also kind of encapsulate several of the questions in each one of the different categories and then talking about it and talking about it from the perspective of the life of Jesus as we find it in the Bible, which is why last week we started with the Bible. Because we figured, look, you know, if we're going to answer your questions throughout the course of this study from the perspective of the Bible, then we probably ought to start by telling you why it is that we believe, at least, that you should value the perspective of the Bible and even, and this is a big statement, value it more than any other perspective. So if you missed last week, I'm begging you, go listen to the message, please. You can find it on the app. You can find it on the website. It is a foundational message. It's foundational to our ability to answer every single question that comes our way, including the one that we have today, which is, is Christianity in conflict with science? All right, so I just want you to feel it for me for a second. Just go ahead, okay? Like, how many of you are envying me right now? (laughs) Oh, it's all right, it's okay. It's all good. Yeah, now that is an overwhelming question. And there are serious limitations to a 30-minute, now 26-minute time frame in which to begin to deal with that. But what I'm going to do today, just to sort of set your expectations, I'm not going to get into the one side says this and then the other side says this. Oh yeah, but wait a minute, but this side says this, but wait a minute, but then this side, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you how I've worked this through myself, biblically and personally, and with the hope that, that maybe it will help reframe the conversation a little bit for you, and maybe it will shed a little bit of light, okay? And I want to begin by taking the question and reframing it a little bit and just telling you how I most frequently get this question. It's not, is Christianity in conflict with science? I mean, that's the question that's being asked, but it's asked this way. It's, hey, Tom, do do I really have to believe that the earth is only 10,000 years old to become a Christian? And that's what we're talking about, isn't it, really? We're talking about creation. And if you know the Bible now, you might be thinking, 
hey, Tom, maybe you need to know the Bible a little better because you've said, you know, you're going to answer this from the perspective of the life of Jesus, but you've also said what we're really talking about is creation. So like we're dealing with pages one and two in the Bible and the Jesus part of the Bible is in the New Testament part. And I, I know that, I, I do. I, I'm, I'm all about that, I get it. But when I go to the New Testament part of the Bible and I read about what it says about Jesus, I discover somebody who's not just a man who was born and lived and suffered and died. I discover that God himself has entered into time and space in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the God-man, which means, as the New Testament says, he was also there at the beginning. What does the Apostle John say? Because at, at the end of the message last week, I said, look, if you're not in the Bible yet, if you want to start reading the Bible, go to the Gospel of John, fourth book, New Testament, verse one, in the beginning. Why is that significant? What's, what are the first three words of the Bible? Like when you open it to page one, Genesis one, verse one, in the beginning. John says, in the beginning, a clear reference to that story of creation was the word. Well, who's that? Because it's not a what. When you read through that chapter, you realize that's the way that John describes Jesus and introduces him to us. He is the living word of God. In the beginning was the word who is Jesus. And the word was where? He was with God. Well, you know, with God where? Like at lunch? I mean... With God on the golf course, with God, where was he with God? He was with God, the first three words tell us, in the beginning. So then what does the Bible say about the beginning of all things? Like what, is it, what does it say about the beginning of the universe? Well, for starters, it says that the universe actually did have a beginning. Again, Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, which is a statement, incidentally, that science is largely coming around at this point. So I'll throw that out for thought. Stephen Hawking, who died this past March, prior to that, he was like the foremost thinker in this area, theoretical physician, cosmologist, definitely not a Christian. But in what he called probably the most remarkable discovery of modern cosmology, said this about the universe. He said, all evidence seems to indicate that the universe has not existed forever, but that it had a beginning. He continues, he says, the theory that the universe has existed forever is in serious difficulty with the second law of thermodynamics. The second law states that disorder, not order, disorder always increases with time. And so the universe must have had a beginning, he's saying. Otherwise, the universe would be at this point in a state of complete disorder. And everything would also be at the same temperature, which it's obviously not. Like I know we live in South Florida and we joke about it being hotter than the face of the sun. And you know, maybe it is at times, but I don't think so. I think it's actually hotter on the sun. Would you agree with that? This kind of beginning to the universe had to be imposed on the universe by some external agency. Now, he doesn't identify that external agency as the God of the Bible. He doesn't identify that external agency as a God. But he is at the very least saying, look, when the Bible says that the universe had a beginning that was imposed upon it by an external agency that we obviously as Christians identify as the God of the Bible. Okay, well, the Bible, at least in that respect, is right. It did. And not only did this external agency 
give beginning to the universe, but he gave beginning to the universe that contains an earth, this place that we live, that against every possible odd contains uniquely all of the many conditions necessary for the existence of life. Donald Page of Princeton's Institute for Advanced Studies, a man who studied under Stephen Hawking, a man who I think does actually identify as a Christian. So a Christian scientist, which incidentally is not as unusual as you might think. As you look through history and you look at all the big names of scientists, many of them were believers in Jesus. But Donald Page has estimated that the Earth's likelihood of randomly emerging with each of the many conditions necessary to sustain life okay, is 1 out of 10 to the 124th power. And since we have absolutely no ability to comprehend a number that large, I'm going to steal a page directly out of Sam Kasten-Smith's class, Truth Unearthed, and I'm going to use an illustration that he used because I think it's brilliant. So imagine this, okay? There are about 100 billion galaxies in the universe in which we live. Each one of the 100 billion galaxies contain itself 100 billion or so stars. The stars are mammoth. They're enormous. Our star, our sun, is an average-sized star. Well, this is not going to work for me. But I want you to notice the difference of the size of the sun in comparison with the third planet on the right there, because that's us. It's an average-sized star. As you continue to explore the universe, you find larger stars. So let's look at the next one. V.Y. Canis Majoris is one of the stars that out, that's out there. Now, it's one of the largest known stars that's out there. But how many unknown stars are out there? And I want you to notice the size of the sun. Like, you couldn't even see it apart from the box. Like, they had to give you the blow-up box so that you can actually see how big the sun is relative to this particular star. And all of the stars and all of the planets and all of the moons and all of the matter in the entirety of the universe, guys, is all made up of tiny little atoms. And it is estimated that if you gathered all of the atoms in the universe and counted all of them up, that you would be, you'd find that there are 10 to the 80th power in atoms. Well, I hope you would agree that that is by orders of magnitude less than 10 to the 124th power. You can't even honestly compare those numbers. And so now I want you to imagine that I had the ability to somehow reach magically out into the universe. And I threw a blindfold on you and I reached my hand somehow magically out into the universe. And I went into one of the hundred billion galaxies and I found one of the hundred billion stars. And I reached into one of the hundred billion stars and I identified, I chose only one atom in the whole of the universe. Okay. And then I came back, took the blindfold off you and magically gave you the ability to do the same thing. What Donald Page is saying is that the odds of your ability in that moment to choose the same atom out of the whole of the universe that I just chose are by orders of magnitude so much greater and better than the odds of planet Earth randomly emerging with all of the many conditions necessary for the existence of life. Something to think about. Dr. Michio Kaku, and yes, I practice that. 
professor of theoretical physics at the City College of New York, not a Christian, says we are in a world made by rules created by an intelligence. Believe me, everything that we call chance today won't make sense anymore. To me, he says, it is clear that we exist in a plan that is governed by rules that were created, shaped by a universal intelligence and not by chance. And of course, the Bible agrees with that when it says that in the beginning, God, the external agency, the universal intelligence that we believe gave impetus to the universe and to this world against any fathomable odd, like, really? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you say, all right, but when did God create the heavens and the earth? You know, I, I don't know. And, and you know what? And the Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't come to us in that story and go, yeah, here you go. And you say, how did God create the heavens and the earth? And at least in a scientific, you know, like chemical and biological and physical processes kind of way, uh, the Bible doesn't really answer that either. In other words, when you open the, the pages of the Bible to the first couple of pages, what you don't find is God standing there in a white lab coat with a white board and a dry eraser marker going, okay, guys, so here's the deal. I'm going to take some time on the front end of my revelation to you. And, uh, and I'm going to answer some questions that I know that you guys are going to have. So I'm going to write the date upon which, or the dates perhaps, that I did all of this. I created the heavens and the earth. We'll put a circle around that. You can take a picture of that with your phone. And then in addition to that, I'm going to explain to you all of the chemical and all of the physical and all of the biological processes by which I brought about the creation of the heavens and the earth. As if we could understand it if he did. Think about all of the information out there right now that God, in our opinion, alone possesses in terms of the whole of the universe. And imagine a pie chart. And now ask yourself, how much of that pie do you think we've discovered? Would there even be like a thin line that we'd be able to discern? Would Stephen Hawking even be able to keep up? I suspect, now I can't prove this, and I don't know this for sure, but I suspect that if God was to sit down to try to explain all of this to even someone with as great a mind as his, that he would drown, not in the deep end of the pool of this knowledge, but on the first step into the pool. It's just something to think about. It's a remarkable thought. No, instead, God just gives us this one statement. In the beginning, I, God, created the heavens and the earth. But then what happens next in the story of creation that we're in? The most scrutinized story. The one that we're talking about. Because when you look at the story, it reveals a purpose. And the purpose is not to answer the when question. And it's not, at least in a physical, chemical, biological, scientific kind of way, to answer the how question. And I keep qualifying that with that phrase, chemical, physical, biological, scientific, for a reason, because the Bible does say some things about this. It says, for example, that God created all things out of nothing. And I just want to stop and go, you know what? That makes a lot of sense to me. I find that reasonable. That passes the common sense test for me. Does that sound scientific to you? Maybe not. But think about it this way. Can we all agree that nothing can come from nothing? Like if you start with nothing, what are you going to get? 
Nothing has no power. Nothing has no intelligence. Nothing has no being. Nothing has no capabilities. Nothing has nothing to work with. Nothing can do, well, what's the word? No thing. So then if anything at all exists, if I exist, if you exist, if the chairs exist, if the stage exists, if our clothes, praise Jesus, exist, and they do, I mean, look, what that necessarily requires is that something must have existed forever. And in light of the the intricacies of all of this, in light of the odds of all of this, in light of the not random at all-ness of all of this, I don't think it's a leap to say it's not a something, but that it's an incredibly intelligent someone. And so the Bible says, look, God created all things out of nothing, and he did it by the power of his word. The Lord speaks and there is creative power in his word. And we talked about that last week when we talked about the Bible. We said, oh, you should believe the Bible for this reason and this reason and this reason and this reason. And then I kind of just got down to the end of it and said, hey, you know what? You should believe the Bible because it's transformative. Like it changes lives. It doesn't just say things. It does things. The word of God carries a creative power. So for the record, Christian scientists and Christian people disagree on the when and on the how of the creation of the heavens and the earth, at least in a scientific way. And even though I squarely find myself in one of those camps and I'm very traditional and I find myself in that camp, frankly, less for scientific reasons than for biblical reasons, I will say that I think that people on both sides who love Jesus and take the Bible seriously disagree in good faith with one another. Now, we may get aggravated one at the other. I get that. But, you know, I mean, I get approached from people who believe something different than me and they'll go, yes, but Tom, what do you think about this? And I'll go, yes, but you, what do you think about this? And they'll go, yeah, but what about that? And I'll say, well, yes, but what about this? And they'll say, yeah, but what about that? And I'll say, yes, but what about this? And they'll say, yeah, but what about that? And I'll say, look at the time. I got to go, man. I'm out. I mean, I don't know how much of this I can do. Go talk to somebody else, you know? I don't want to argue with you. That's not my point. Pie chart. How much information is really out there on the universe? How much do we know? In science, we're discovering. And we're constantly going, yeah, we got it right. No, you know, we don't have it right. Actually, now we have it. No, we didn't have it right. And now we have it right. All these new conversations, all these new discoveries. If I can just step back for a moment, I'm not at all surprised that there are people who differ over this. Are you? And here's what I think in the end. And this is based on my presuppositions. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Hope that's not a surprise to you, okay? But if there is a God, and if He is the God of the Bible then what is science? In the end, it is the discovery of the work and ways of God. Is it not? And if there is a beginning that presupposes that there will be an end, and the way that I work it through personally is I say, hey, you know what? In that end, science is going to line up perfectly with God. All of the theories will become fact. All of the questions will be answered in a way that are harmonious. And I can't do that. And you can't either. We continue to discover. So then, the when and the how questions of creation are questions that, at least in my opinion, the story of creation that we actually have in the Bible 
are not intended to answer or is not intended to answer. It's just not the purpose of the story. And you say, well, then what is the purpose of the story? In a nutshell, the purpose of the story is to declare from the first page of the Bible the transformational work of God that he offers to me and to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul in the New Testament agrees with me on that. Colossians 1, verse 16, speaking of Jesus, he says that by him, by Jesus, all things were created. Do you hear that? In heaven and on earth. Does that sound like something? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's talking about that story. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Which means that what we have in the story of creation is not a white lab coat moment. It's not a story about that. It's a story about Jesus. And that makes sense of the story for me. Because then I look at the story and what do I see? Well, God creates the heavens and the earth, but then what? Like what's next? What's the next scene? Is the scene of an earth that is totally done and it's perfect and it's ready to go and it's... No. Why? Because he was incapable of doing it that way? No. Because he's telling a story. What you see next is an earth that is dark and that is dead and that is full of chaos and that is utterly and completely empty. And then what does God do day by day? Because he couldn't do it in a nanosecond? No, because he's telling a story. He transforms it. He speaks light into the darkness. He calls life out of that which is dead. He orders the chaos. He fills the emptiness. What is he doing from the first page of the Bible? He's saying, hey, let me show you a picture of your heart. It looks like this. It's dark. It's dead. It's formless. And it's empty. And in my love letter to you, here's what I want you to know from day one. There is one who can call light out of your darkness. There is one who can bring life out of that which is dead in you. There is one who can order your chaos. And listen, you have been trying to satisfy your soul. And you've tried with this, and you've tried with this, and you've tried with this, and you've tried with this. You've traveled, you've had experiences. You've... It's like drinking sand. By design. So here I am. And I want you to know that there is one who can make you full. Paul says, all things were created through him and for him, to which he then adds, and he is before all things. And what does that mean? It doesn't just mean that he's before all things in time. Now, we covered that. He's not just an average man. He is God-made man. He's in the beginning with God. He's even before the beginning with God. But it means that he's before all things in preeminence. He's before all things in love. He's before all things in joy. He's before all things in peace and hope and wisdom, and power, and strength, and goodness, and glory. He is preeminent above all things. And then he says, and I love this, he says, and in him, all things hold together. I made a list. Think of the things that hold together in Jesus. Our sin and his holiness, which overcomes our sin. That's pretty good. True poverty, no matter what we have, and true riches that overwhelms our poverty. The finite and the infinite. 
suffering and glory, time and eternity, beginning and end, life and death, good and evil, heaven and earth, God and man, sometimes husband and wife, or parent to kid, brother, sister, friend, friend. There are things that tear apart in us that only Jesus can bring together. So is Christianity in conflict with science? I really think it's not. And I think that in the end of all ends, I will be proven right. But, you know, I'll see you there. So we'll see. I do. I think we need to look at the pie chart and the sliver and get real humble. I do. And I don't think it's unreasonable to say, you know what, in the end, when all the questions are answered by the one who has all the answers to the questions, we'll go, oh, got it. Or maybe we'll see him and not even care. That's possible too. So just like science says, the universe had a beginning. The Bible says that too. Created by an external agency, a universal intelligence, whom the Bible identifies as God. Who not only created or gave a beginning to the universe, but who uniquely fashioned and positioned the earth in such a way as to create for the earth all of the many, and there are many, conditions necessary for the existence of life. And considering the fact that the odds of that happening apart from God are far worse than the odds of you and I reaching out into the universe and randomly identifying the same atom. I really think, you know, I need at least to ask myself, look, does it take more faith to believe that there is a God or that that just randomly occurred? And if there is a creator God, and if he is in fact the God of the Bible, then what is his nature? Because it's beautiful. His nature is the nature of one who wants you to know from the moment you open his book that he knows you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly where you're at. He has a picture of your heart and there it is. And he wants you to know that there's hope, that there's life, that there's transformation and that that is found in him and faith in his son. So that's the offer of the Bible, not just the first few pages, but certainly there. And our hope is that as you reason things through, you'll accept the offer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the living word who is Jesus. We thank you, God, that there is an external agency, that there is a universal intelligence. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal yourself to us. I pray, God, that you would work in our hearts in such a way as to unearth our real questions and all of the thoughts and intentions behind the questions that we ask. And I pray that you would so work in our hearts as to reveal the answers to those questions in the person of Jesus. So do these things, we pray, for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.